Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.
Good morning, everybody. Last week, we heard about Italy and folks coming out on their balconies and singing to each other. This week, we heard our own stories here in the Bay Area. One member wrote to me about how her neighbor's children came out or child came out and played a concert and everyone was told to come out onto their driveways and listen. Other people talked about going on hikes where they all agreed they would stay six feet away as a way to connect and escape the cabin-fevered walls. There were tea parties being scheduled on Zoom, and our neighbors texted us last night to ask that we bring wine and cheese, and they would bring their own wine and cheese, and we would meet downstairs in the shared garage for cocktail hour. We're finding all these ways to connect and show our love in this time. And we are here this morning doing, doing worship without much of a congregation. Normally, a church that looked like this would be a failure for a minister. <laughs> but today, we consider it a success. Last week, in fact, that we had our choir with us and our bell choir, there were 300 households connecting the way you are. So welcome. I want to light a candle, as we did last week, to just bring all of you into this space, symbolically, until that time that we are gathered together again in body. It's lovely to have you all here. You look great in your bathrobes and slippers. I'm sure you are thrilled that you finally get to have your cup of coffee with you like the evangelical churches allow their members to do. We're sending big love to all of you. The orders of service you should be able to, if you didn't already realize, um, download onto your computer, print if you have access to a printer, but they have things like the hymns copied inside so you can sing along. And after we open in a moment with a body prayer, we'll sing. I would invite you to throw open the windows and serenade your neighbors in good Italian spirit. But for now, let's open with one sometime favorite. And today when we're doing our body prayer together, those of you who haven't done it, I'll walk you through, but those who have, Oftentimes we have to spread out so we don't hit our neighbor with an elbow or a hand, but today just make sure you don't knock over your lamp or your laptop or your coffee cup. <laughs> so we begin with a comfortable stance, our feet underneath our shoulders, rooted to the ground, hands folded in the namaste pose, and we begin moving our hands and arms up, our head following, casting our eyes upward to the ceiling, knowing the sky above it, the vastness of life, the expanse of the universe. We open our arms, feeling when we do so the abundance of gifts that are present just in this day and holding our arms for a moment in this 
position, we feel the weight of all those blessings. Turning our hands over, we rake our hands through the blessings of our own life, cast about us like pearls, gathering up what few we can in these hands and pressing them into us, that we might carry them with us this day, and then opening our arms in a gesture that offers ourselves as we are to the world, coming back again to the centered pose we began. So now let's do it through once with slight guidance and then silently together. We move our hands and arms and eyes upward, the vastness of life, open our arms to the enormous abundance of gifts of this day, pull our hands through what is cast before us like pearls gathering up what we will and pressing it into us, gifts for this day, and then opening our hands and arms as a gesture of offering of ourselves as we are. Coming back to a centered pose and once through silently together. like to invite you now to join us in our unison chalice lighting. The words are found in your order of service that you've hopefully been able to click and read on your computers. Join with me. We light this chalice for the light of truth, 
the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment, we light the symbol of our faith as we gather together. So good morning to all of you. I kind of feel like I'm on romper room. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Galen. Good morning, Mark, Sumner, and Reiko, to all of you. My name is Allison Jackson. I'm the associate minister here at the church, and we're so glad that you have joined us for worship here this morning. While we are in a shelter in place, we do want to keep in touch with you. So to stay up to date with any church activities and plans, visit our website and click on the bright red COVID-19 link that is found on the homepage in the left corner. Check there first if you have questions or want to find out contact information for the staff and any pastoral needs. We continue to reach out to you via email our members, which includes our weekly e-newsletter, The Flame. And if you'd like to sign up for The Flame, there is information on how to do that uh, on the live stream. But it's simple. You just need to go to our website, click on the Info Give tab, and scroll down to Newsletters, and you'll find the easy links there to click and join us on receiving our weekly newsletter. Our staff is working remotely now, so please email us with any questions or concerns or ideas. We look forward and want to hear from you. You can also call the church and leave us a voicemail, and we will get your messages, and we will be in touch with you. But we ask that you be patient as we adjust to this ever-changing new normal we find ourselves in. Please join Vanessa for her virtual book club that is going to be happening March 25-26. There's information there. Again, you can see it on your screens. And if you go to the church website, click on the adult programs and classes, and you'll see how to register there. We would love to have you. I know she would love to see you. And I have one announcement from our dynamic annual operating fund duo. Nancy Buffum and Joe Dellert. So here's what they want to tell you. Good morning to the 100% first UUSF members and friends. We belong to a powerful and loving community so necessary during these times of physical distance. We give thanks to Reverend Vanessa, everyone on our worship team, Allison and the religious education teachers, center staff and technical crew, and the board of trustees for keeping our community together. The annual operating fund has benefited from an outpouring of support. As of March 18th, 114 of our members and friends have pledged $437,000 now it is time to fill in the rest of the pie with your gifts. The rest of our community, every gift is important, however great or small. Every one of you is important. We are so blessed to share community together, to be on this journey together. Hold on to a vision of our spiritual home growing and supporting one another in the coming year. Please, you can pledge online. You can find the link on the live stream. Much love, Nancy and Joe.
And now normally we would greet one another. So hello, hello. greetings, greetings. All right, guys, it's time to come back together. <laughs> Let's say our covenant together and then sing our doxology. And so the words of our covenant. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. Join me in our ritual of remembrance and commitment. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of two such places of struggling and suffering. We ring our gong in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let, it, we let its ringing symbolically stand also for those adults who have lost their lives in these camps, those who remain in such camps, many separated from families, and those who wait in makeshift refugee camps at our border, waiting an asylum hearing. And today we also ring our gong for other losses, those most on our minds this week, those lost to the virus we know by name, rehearsed daily in the updates we read, the symptoms we memorize. As of today, there were 311,000 reported cases of COVID-19 and more than 13,000 deaths. We ring our gong this morning for these lives too. May we keep those we have named and their families in our thoughts and prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this week, however so we can.
Join me now in a time of spoken and silent prayer and meditation. Let us gather our hearts and quiet ourselves, rest our eyes, center ourselves on our couches and cushions, our chairs, mattresses, maybe the floor. Breathe deeply and gently. And let us come together in prayer and reflection. Loving presence that moves in us, around us, and sustains us, be with us now. We come together from across our city, our state, our country, and around the world in this unprecedented time of disruption. May our collective prayers reach all those in need. To our loved ones near and far, we are with you in spirit. Feel our love hold you now and through the days and weeks ahead. To those working around the clock, around the world, providing care for the sick and dying, our elders and those who are health compromised in our hospitals, our hospices, care facilities, homes, shelters, we send our love and light. May it surround you and those you care for and keep you safe. To those providing essential services to ensure that we have food on our tables and supplies at the ready. To the farm workers, the grocery store clerks, the drivers and deliverers, the warehouse and restaurant workers, civil servants, utility and municipal workers, our emergency teams and first responders. We extend prayers of gratitude and thanks. May you be safe as you work to keep us safe and cared for. Our hearts go out to those displaced from jobs, those without safety nets, and the basic supports to get by. And to our sisters and brothers on the streets in our cities, may we find ways to provide support and sustenance to all those in need of help. We are learning each day, each hour, this moment, how to make our way through this pandemic with as much courage and kindness as we can muster. 
While our lives are in lockdown, let us continue living, finding joy and beauty in each day. Remember to be gentle with yourself and those entrusted to your care. We are in this together. No amount of social distancing can keep our spirits apart. We are held by that great love. And just for this moment, be buoyed by that love. Dear ones, we are sending you light to heal you, to hold you. We are sending you light to hold you in love. Blessings and amen. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, days ago, I was offered the opportunity to write 500 words on what is my journey with UUism and why does it matter to me? Really, Reverend? Even if I had three months to write this, 500 words would not even begin to answer this question. Sure, I could retell the same stories I usually do that my dad, John Chapeau, who was married here in the 80s, rediscovered this place in the Yellow Pages and brought me here when I was 10. I did rites of passage as a fifth grader. I was in the second local of coming age program. That what really hooked me into this were the cons, these regional youth retreats, were, they were incredible. I got trained on how to be a leader. Then in college, I helped start a middle school retreat program while also doing the same thing for young adults. And finally, I quit all doing all that when I was hired here five years ago. But none of that story captures this. How could anything capture this? This place where we are given permission to believe 
a place where we allow wisdom to be revealed through reasoning and questioning, experience and intuition, opening ourselves up to what our hearts are truly telling us. This conversation that calls us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. This environment where we grow a wild spiritual garden where we till the land with magic and water it with love. This family where so many are fully expressed, free of the confines and conversations that tell us the shapes of our boxes. These people who have taken up a spiritual practice that holds a mirror to themselves over and over again, reflecting and learning the same lesson every time that all the hate we express in this world is just our own self-harm projected outward. And that the only path forward is one towards wholeness that starts within. And then we take all that truth and test it in the world and in conversations, changing it when we get it wrong and changing the world when we have it right. Truthfully, Reverend, Unitarian Universalism matters to me because it is alive. This is a conversation that is growing and decaying, one that is uncomfortable and so comforting. It constantly surprises me, gets a reaction out of me, holds me up, brings me down, and then lifts me right back up. It is alive conversations that provide so much opportunity for growth as human beings, and this place has it in spades. It is this aliveness that matters to me. And all I really wanna do with the rest of my UU journey is share this with everyone. Right now, there are only a few hundred thousand UUs. Now imagine, for just a moment, what it would be like if there were a million Unitarian Universalists. That's the journey I'm on. And I invite all of you, right here, right now, to join me. I know. 
a good moment to say thank you to Miwa and Michelle and Asher for being here. It's beautiful to have you with us. Our reading this morning is taken from a novel that was written by Harriet Beecher Stowe, Unitarian of old. A novel actually that was exploring the whole notion of salvation that was brewing at the time part of it involving a woman who is tortured by the notion that her child, who is born without being baptized, is believed will go to hell to burn forever, a notion that was challenging people's theological imaginations about larger love, a God of, a God of greater benevolence, and the roots of which um, are our own, those conversations and debates. Anyway, in the novel, she writes at one point about a sense of who we are and what we're meant to be, and one way maybe we get there. She writes, for every leaf and flower, there is an ideal to which the Growth of the plant is constantly urging. So is there an ideal to every human being, a, a perfect form in which it might appear were every defect removed and every characteristic excellence stimulated to the highest point. Once in an age, God sends to some of us a friend who loves in us not a false imagining, an unreal character, but looking through all the rubbish of our imperfections, loves in us the divine ideal of our nature, the angel we might be. Here ends our reading.
attending a conference, a minister's retreat with workshops, and we're asked as part of the workshop on homiletics, on preaching, to, creach, to critique each other's sermons. A pattern is about to emerge. One preacher who serves a congregation in Texas begins his thoughts with what will become his predictable refrain. After each person speaks, he says, well, I asked myself as you preached, have I been saved? And I wondered, what does he mean when he asks that question? Or what does it mean for us in this day and age to ask it? If you thought Joe's assignment was tough this morning, what would it mean for a preacher to save their people in 2,000 words or less every week? I never did get to ask the preacher himself what he meant, but out of curiosity, I will admit to going online after the conference and listening to at least one of his sermons. Though, to be honest, that didn't put me any closer to the answer. Maybe he was hoping we would answer the question for him for real. Salvation has been a word that religion, that religions, some of them at least, have been obsessed with for millennia. Our tradition, the universalist half, was founded on a debate over that question. More than a few good people, including some of our theological relatives, were martyred over it, and certainly in moments of fear or on the brink of war or in the trenches, the question of whether you or I were saved was one our ancestors fretted about as much sometimes more than whether in such times they had enough food in the larder. What does it mean? For me, the word means most, if I had to summarize it, some sense of being made right with God or what we know as ultimate, and very often involved some act of choice, some moment of time that put us into right relationship. A baptism, an acceptance of some version of God as your guiding force. And there is a long tradition, too, of such choices, such moments happening in incredibly dramatic ways, often unbidden. Even those who were not raised in a traditional religious household probably know, at least from works of literature and history, some stories of these moments of salvation. How about the famous light on the road to Damascus moment of Paul's? Here is a refresher for those who haven't memorized the story. 
There is this man, he's in his late 20s or early 30s, as far as we can figure, named Saul, later to be renamed Paul. He's a passionate man and a lover of the rules and a strict interpreter of right and wrong. And one day he is walking from Jerusalem to Damascus. He's on a mission. Today it is to arrest some of the followers of a man named Jesus. You might say Paul is zealous in his faith, but his zealousness is not a virtue. I would say it has impaired his moral judgment. For instance, it has led to his participation in the stoning of at least one of the followers of this man Jesus so far. But on this road, on this day, Paul is saved from all of this. His life turned around and upside down when headed to Damascus, all of a sudden a bright light appears to him and to his companions, a light so bright it turns out that it leaves him unable to see for three days until another person appears unbidden telling him they have been sent to heal Paul by a voice also, and doing so. And back in that moment of the blinding light, Paul hears a voice, and it asks him, why do you persecute me? And somehow, the way I guess you know these things, he knows that voice to be God's. And when he asks it its name, it announces itself by the name Jesus. And so Paul, persecutor of human beings, and, well, he becomes a builder of a new branch of religious communities. And instead of killing for his faith, he will later die for it. That's one story from the Christian tradition that tells of what it would call salvation, which for me isn't so much that this man Saul becomes a Christian, but that his heart is reoriented, in this case toward a more fruitful relationship with what you might say is all that is divine. That means not just a reorientation of his relationship with the God of his understanding and of the ultimate aim of his life's work, but a reorientation of his relationship with human beings, too. Maybe we all have some moment of dramatic reorientation that we remember. It's rarely, I think, a literal experience of being blinded by the light. Often it happens in way less public moments. Maybe it's an epiphany in the library or a brush with our own life's fragility, some close call and a second chance or hitting bottom. There are so many ways we find ourselves sorted out that begin 
in a moment or a chapter of life. Harriet Beecher Stowe talks about the power of friends, a particular gift of a friend who can reorient us. She has that gorgeous notion of how to describe what we're being saved for and directed back toward in these moments. Every leaf and flower, she says, as you remember from the reading, to which the growth of a plant is constantly urging it. And this ideal, this perfect form too, toward which each of us is leaning, yearning, urged. And there are these rare people, she notes, who come into our lives, she says sent by God, but precious offerings no matter what the source of their arrival, who see that beauty and fruition toward which we were meant to grow, even and especially when we cannot see it, who see beyond the rubbish of our imperfections, as she calls them, and love the ideal in us, and you might even say love it out of us or love us into it, Maybe some of you know those kinds of salvation moments. Maybe you've had them. I think I have. For me, there are times when someone gently, usually gently, holds me metaphorically by the shoulders with love and points something out I need to see, and in doing so, turns me on my axis and sets me off in a slightly new way, a better direction to get me where it is I too know I need and want to go. Sometimes these folks even walk with us for a while to give us courage and company. There is a poem by Roy Croft that is often read at weddings. I want to share it with you. It goes, I love you, not only for what you are, but for what I am when I am with you. Not only for what you have made of yourself, but for what you are making of me. I love you for the part of me that you bring out. I love you for putting your hand into my heaped-up heart and passing over all the weak and foolish things that you cannot help dimly seeing there and for drawing out into the light all the beautiful belongings that no one else had looked quite far enough to find. I love you because you are helping me to make of the lumber of my life, not a tavern, but a temple. Out of the works of my every day, not a reproach, but a song. 
that kind of love, that kind of seeing deeply into one another and the promise of its life, seeing a life beyond its limits and its mistakes, that is a kind of salvation, isn't it? When someone offers it to us, when we offer it to others, this believing in one another. Finally, in this talk of salvation, I think that sometimes, too, the reorientation of our life that we're talking about comes out of pretty dramatic upheavals. Earthquake moments, I want to call them, not that I am bidding anything to literally shake our earth these days, because heaven knows we are in a world that is quaking quite enough right now. These earthquake moments, as I'm calling them, they're the times, you might say, when life pulls the rug out from under us and the tablecloth out from underneath the banquet that we have prepared and we're ready to sit down at and everything shakes and some things we thought could be trusted to be there for us topple. These are these hugely disorienting, disturbing, scary moments of our lives, sometimes of our shared life. And as you already know, perhaps, from your own experience, these times too have the power to reorder our insides as they upend the world outside us. Because for better or for worse, times of upheaval, well, they're often times when some new vision has a chance to break in. In the rebuilding of life in and after such times, after all, we, well, we have to be asking questions about what we will rebuild and how we're going to do it and what values and goals are going to guide that, that process in all of the exhausting choices we make and what we will leave behind in the rubble and the aftermath and what we pick out of it and dust off and carry it with us treasured into the next chapter. I don't think life has a lot of earthquake moments, and they are rarely actual earthquakes and almost never pandemics. More often they show up as painful but not uncommon personal tectonic shifts, things that you know well, like, like a divorce or a breakup, like life after the loss of someone that we loved dearly, or maybe the loss of something we love, maybe during an illness, or if we lose maybe some ability that we once had that was important to our identity and our life activities, 
Sometimes being fired from a job cracks the foundations we thought we stood on and wakes us up to big questions. For me once, it was a despair that was like a depression that wouldn't lift, that in retrospect was telling me the life I was living couldn't go on the way it was. Something, something happens in those moments that shakes us to our core and often in doing so demands that we rethink the plans we had and the assumptions we were making. And not surprisingly, often results in a powerful reorientation and reordering, and often toward fuller life. Of course, this isn't why this reorientation toward fuller life that often happens after and in the aftermath of such moments, it isn't why such disorienting things happen to us. I don't believe for a second they are sent by some God who thinks that we need to be broken to be remade. Sometimes heartbreak and upset are the natural consequences of the way we were living. Inattentive to love, we find ourselves in a breakup. Inattentive to our bodies, we find ourselves ill, for example. But other times, they're just random. A car runs a red light. A cancer mutates in the cells of a loved one. No matter what, though, rending good from such times Turning things toward fuller life in the midst of them can feel good. It can feel like and be a stubborn and gorgeously faithful way to live in the face of hardship. It remains to be seen what reorientation of our individual and shared lives will be what we take away from the hardship and the losses that by all estimates we will certainly all suffer in the months ahead. One thing we do already know for sure though is that in a very dramatic way we are in this together Every neighborhood, every city, all nations, each and every continent, the world. And all of us are already in the business of salvation, I think. If you'll let me use that word, I mean we're already saving lives, aren't we? By agreeing to buy groceries for the vulnerable, in agreeing to work in the hospitals and in the streets as our healthcare workers and social workers are around the clock, by lifting spirits in the neighborhood with concerts and wine and cheese in the garage and hikes at six feet apart, all these ways to mitigate loss and find life. So the preacher asks, are we saved? And now I think 
I know the answer. Yes. We're saved a thousand times in a thousand ways. By life, by chance, by each other, through hardship, in beauty. When loved deeply by friends, even sometimes broken down by life, by faithfulness and stubborn determination too, we are saved whenever and in a lifetime of ways that we are turned once and again and again and again toward fuller life. The thing in us that's urging us toward it. So blessings to us all, and may we hold one another through all the shaking and the upset of these times. And know even in the midst of this, the ideal toward which our spirits urge. And may holiness and happiness await us each and every moment on the way. Amen. shine upon us, out from within us, 
Be gracious unto us and grant us peace, for this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Stay healthy, stay connected, go in peace.
25,600 minutes. 600 minutes How do you measure Measure a year In daylights In sunsets In midnights In cups of coffee In inches In miles In laughter In strife In 525 Thanks for listening to this podcast of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org.